Hello, I'm your host, Olivia Braffman, and welcome to If She Can, I Can, the podcast that aims to edge us ambitious women that little bit closer to figuring out how to navigate both the fulfilling career and the family we desire. And well, challenge is the role we're supposed to play in it all. Each week, I'm going to be talking to the inspiring women who, in their own special way, have done just that. Let's get into it. This episode, I'm joined by Natasha Bonugli, a true force to be reckoned with and industry heavyweight when it comes to workplace and residential interior design. Boston-born, Natasha originally studied architecture in the US, but has been London-based for the past 18 years. She has managed and developed a number of high-performance design teams to deliver award-winning interiors across the globe. After directorial and principal positions at some of the most notable design practices today, with her last position being at Unispace as global principal designer for EMEA and North America, just over a year ago, Natasha took the ultimate plunge, creating her very own cutting-edge design studio, The Bond Collective. Covering both workplace and residential sectors, the Bond Collective encapsulates her ethos for the perfect balance between aesthetics, practicality, and longevity. Expert, influencer, and inspiration are words often used to describe Natasha, and I have no doubt you'll agree after today's conversation. Natasha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I want to take it back, first of all to your earlier years. What do you think it was about your early years or your upbringing that shaped you or made you into the person that you are today? I think I was born into a family. So my father was from Italy. So he was an immigrant. He moved to the US in his early 20s after serving in the army in Italy. And my mom is Portuguese. So they came from different countries, settled in the US following the American dream. And they work their way up from nothing. So I think I've always had this kind of drive uh, to do better and to have the opportunities. They gave me the opportunities they didn't have. So, for example, I was the first to actually have a college education or a university degree in the family. My father worked in construction. And my mom was a nurse, although she went to school for that. But to have a proper degree, I was the first. I do think given my father was in construction, he was very good with his hands. He was always renovating properties that they bought and developing new things or building things from scratch. So I think that was kind of ingrained in my blood from an early age. And my mom was also very creative, even though her day job was was being a nurse, she was uh, very artistic and creative. So early on, I was very good at math and art in school. And my parents veered me away from becoming an artist. They said, you won't make a living being an artist. And I had the opportunity to uh, to go to a summer program while I was still in high school, which was an introduction to architecture at the Rhode Island School of Design, which is quite a prominent university for the arts in the US. Um, I absolutely loved the program. And from that point on, already in high school, I knew I wanted to be an architect. So I think that was an easy decision. And given that I had this drive or this this kind of um, mentality to keep going and be better, I think my parents gave me a lot of tough love. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't necessarily like great job. It was like oh you could have done better. So I always tried to push myself at everything I was doing in terms of career and education. 
to be better and to, um, you know, to, to make them proud in a way. And that's, that's what was ultimately driving me. Um, and once I graduated university, actually it was a, quite a tough time to find jobs, but I, I worked for a big construction company that my father, my father got my first, uh, helped me get my first job in Boston. And I did that temporarily until I found an architecture, an architecture position. But then once I got into the fields, uh, I, I worked in Boston for a year for a small practice and learned a lot because it was small. I was working hands-on with directors. I think it's really important in those early days of your career to actually absorb everything and learn quickly and force yourself to, to be better or learn things yourself. And then I moved to New York City where there wasn't much ground-up architecture being built. And that's where I fell in, the, and fell in love with the world of interiors because of the speed the detail and the ability to work on probably 50 jobs a year rather than one big architectural job that you're focusing on the facade detail for, you know, six months. So I think that really shaped the direction. It's not that I chose workplace design, but I ultimately fell into that just because of the role I had in New York City and the type of work that the company was doing. And then in 2005, I took the jump to move to the UK. I have the Italian passport, so no issues with visa. And I found uh, an opportunity with a company called Pringle Brandon, who's now Perkins and Will, so they, they merged later on. But an opportunity to work directly with one of the partners on the Mary Rose Museum in Portsmouth. So my first project in, in the UK was actually working on that. And then I very quickly moved moved up in that company you know, from kind of just a designer level to an associate to a project director within within a few years. So I moved up quite quickly career-wise. And then following that, there was a series of jumps um, where I kept getting poached by by different companies. Wood, yeah, Woods Baggett in particular, they, they, um, they gave me the opportunity to work on cross-sector projects, so different sectors. So not only workplace, so residential, hospitality, retail. So that again, was a shift in, I guess, the direction. So first of all, other than you had a passport and therefore an opportunity to move to London, was there any other driver behind I can that that helped you to make that move? Yes. Well, there was a big driver, actually. So I I got married. I was married really young at 23 to an American uh, that I met in New York. And we eloped to Vegas together, got married really young, and then he had an opportunity. So in reality, the reason I moved over was because he had an opportunity. But actually, the funny thing is, our marriage didn't work out. Um, It was about five years. And I didn't want to have children that young. I mean, I was still really young. And he, I wanted a career. uh, And he wanted to start a family. So we were on, I mean, we were young, we didn't know what we wanted as individuals. Um, so the marriage failed, but my career then skyrocketed because I focused just on career instead. But yeah, ultimately that was the reason why I moved to the UK. That was the driver. Well, I feel like it was meant to be. And people always ask, is it down to luck or is it down to the individual that can see someone ultimately rise really fast through companies or be poached by other companies, whatever it may be? What do you think it was about you that meant you were rising really quickly or poached quickly to get to the, the heights of, of where you managed to get to? I think it has to be my work ethic and a combination of that and personality. 
I strongly believe, I mean, I've always, always given 110% of everything I do and go above and beyond, like I live, breathe, right or wrong, but I live, breathe, um, you know, my work and my passion. Uh, and ultimately, it is the passion that's driving me. So I think that comes through to to clients, to, to you know, bosses at the time. I, I think they could see that. And that's why I was able to progress so quickly. Which I think is important to keep hold of, you know, to people that look at others going, how do they manage to do it? Well, what is their work ethic? What are they showing up and doing? What are they permeating as they're going through all these work and, and there must be some kind of common denominator. It's not just luck that all of these different companies all saw that same thing in you. And you mentioned something earlier around a big thing driving you earlier on was your parents, their kind of tough love and that whatever you do, there's there's always one step further that you could be going. Do you think that still lives with you in terms of... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> where did, you know, the ambition and when you were starting out, did you have your sight set on a big goal or were you just trying to impress the next person that was responsible for your next big career move? To be honest, I think I've always wanted to end up in that leadership role or the exec level. And when I got there, everything changed because <laughs> I think you get there and you think that's it, but I'm like, what's next? because it wasn't enough. And actually, the further you progress in your career, the you're doing less design, you're actually less involved in projects. And for a designer and someone who's passionate about design, to be doing more admin and managerial stuff and less design, I just felt as though there was a point where I needed to get back to just being involved in projects and being you know, doing design and at this stage of my career, that's why that was probably the biggest reason why I set up the practice on my own. Because actually it's, it it definitely wouldn't have been the easy route to go and set up a practice on your own, to not have the safety and security of a large organization. And the salary. (laughs) And the salary and all the support functions that exist around that. And I think we take it for granted sometimes. Was it just this pure passion for design that you'd you'd grown so big that you'd got so far away from that you just needed to be back with or was there a a bigger purpose behind you wanting to have your own practice I I think the the passion was part of it but to be honest from an very early age of my or early start of my career I always wanted to to start my own thing I always said to people someday I'm going to be competing against you I would say that to my bosses but Ultimately, having my son in 2018, uh, you know, I had him, went back to work six months later, was still traveling the globe in my global role across, well, across Europe and the globe. So I think the big, the other big factor is kind of trying to find balance. And that's something that I've always struggled with, Um, you know, adding in children and health as well, like balancing that with you know, trying to, to stay fit and mentally and physically and trying to find the time in the day to split everything. So that was another big decision. And COVID was actually a blessing for uh, for, for me and, and my family because it gave us the opportunity to be home and to reassess what's important to us. And it was the start of 2001, uh, 2021, sorry, 2021, uh, where 
I had a few opportunities, clients come to me direct within weeks saying, will you work with us? And it was just, I think that was the sign I needed to take the jump. So there were two projects already lined up. I had already known known in my mind that I'm done with this corporate world. Uh, My last practice was bought out by a, a private equity fund. It just kept changing and changing. And I was doing less of what I really wanted to do. And so everything aligned at once. Um, would I have taken that risk otherwise? Probably, but probably a little bit later. I never really knew what the time, when the time was right. You always think I need more experience managing teams or I need to understand the exec level, you know, higher business strategies. But actually, I probably could have done it years ago. And I think they're just probably deep down procrastination tactics that are just pushing the dreams of a lot of people further and further down the road thinking that you're not ready for whatever reason it sounded less like a I'm just diving into the unknown deep end but actually a very informed calculated cautious risk you had customers lined up they were your foundation they were your starting off block and I'm interested prior to that so working in the big corporate world what now you obviously have a lot more control over how you spend your time. And that's really important. When you didn't, and you're working for the big, large organizations that you were and traveling the world, what did, what did an average day or week look like to you? Are we talking crazy hours? Are we, what did it generally look like? And I guess this is sort of pre, pre having a child. What was your life? Yeah, I I think, Every day was different. Every week was different. Um, it depended on the projects or the the opportunities we were pitching on, where I was traveling to. For example, uh, I was managing, at first I was in a European role with the, the last practice, and then it turned into a global role. But even when it was in Europe, we had 14 studios across Europe. So managing the teams and being you know, giving them FaceTime, not just being in London. So I was in probably two cities a week. Uh, you know, I literally had my toiletries already packed. I literally had it down to a tea, what I needed. So every everything, you just barely unpacked, just <laughs> some new clean clothes and everything was ready to go. So I was traveling a lot. I was working crazy hours. Granted, I'm still working crazy hours, but it's for myself. <laughs> so I don't know if that changes, but uh, it shifts and obviously sliding in family that also shifts. But yeah, the, the, the world before was, was tough and it included a lot more travel. I think that's one of the things that COVID has changed for a lot of organizations. We can do things virtually. The world of workplace and the world of work in general has, has changed for the good, I hope. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And this is pre-starting your own business, pre-COVID, you're doing incredibly well. I guess from the outset, whether or not you're feeling exhausted and burnt out, I don't know. But certainly from the outset, Natasha is is killing it in, in her career. What's going on in your personal life at this point? Are you, um, you mentioned your first marriage didn't work out, but are you in a relationship again? Are you starting to think about a family? And then if so, how are you thinking about it? Yeah, I, I don't think I had much luck with relationships before I met my current partner, to be honest. I had a string of maybe two-year relationships with the wrong people. And then the world of online dating came about. Um, I actually met my partner on Happen, the app. 
in 2015 and we probably would have never met he was living in mayfair he comes from a m&a banking background you know i'm an architect living in shortage at the time we were in two different worlds we would have never met so the beauty of online dating brought us together and it was instant i think we were at the right points in our lives we're a little bit older i think it was um you know 35 at the time and he was 40 so he was probably ready to settle down and and he was the perfect match for me. We very quickly knew it was right. We bought a house within six, a flat within six months together and then got pregnant a couple of years later with our son, Hugo. Um, so, and we've been together since. I think, yeah, I think relationships were always on the back burner or I didn't really have the right relationships or they weren't at the right points in their lives to be able to offer what I needed as well, or they needed back and forth. So I think that was sort of timing and finding the right person. That could have been a bit of luck. (laughs) Well, there's always an element to that. And I think a lot of people that work incredibly long hours often say, oh, I don't have time for a relationship right now, which, which quite honestly might be the case. And then I think for those people that also want a family and want to have kids, surely that's an even bigger a challenge to juggle with crazy working hours when when you fell pregnant were you were you planning on it or did it just sort of happen therefore you had to make it work we actually we did plan so we tr- we started trying given i think i was 37 at the time when i fell pregnant we said we should probably we should probably try sooner rather than later um and it took it took a while the first time it took about six months, which isn't long for for the first time, but still it felt like a long time. Um, so that was planned. Um, our engagement we're now engaged. We still haven't gotten married, but that wasn't planned. <laughs> that was a surprise. Uh, that happened before we actually felt pregnant. But the baby was planned. Uh, our son was planned. Yeah. And and how did that then fit into your job at the time? So. Were you working within an organization that was flexible, allowed you to, you mentioned you had six months off. Some might consider that not a long time. Some might consider that a long time. Everyone's different. But how did it feel to you as you were making that big transition from corporate high flyer designer to bringing in motherhood as well? I was quite um, aggressive in my negotiation when I joined them. And I signed up to, I could have had a full year, year's pay, uh, paid maternity leave, but it was ultimately my choice to go back at six months. Um, I felt I was ready and we, because I was going to have to travel, we had a, a nanny during the week from nine till six who supported us. She was an extension of her family. She didn't live with us, but she was, was part of the family. She went on holidays with us as well. Because we were both, uh, my partner Aaron is also uh, traveling a lot for work across the globe. So we needed to have that comfort that, you know, we our son would have someone who could be there just in case. Because everything was so flexible or I guess we weren't able to plan properly because our jobs were um, kind of ad hoc in terms of when we travel or what was going on or deadlines for both of us. So that's how we managed it and and just good communication between the two of us and trying to figure out, you know, how to to balance it all. I think as our son's got older, he's now in school, he's four. 
He's in reception. I think that's a whole nother challenge because keeping up with all the school activities and making sure they have their Halloween costume and decorating the pumpkin and homework, that's almost like another full-time job. So I've had to, again, rebalance and make lists on lists to make sure I'm doing everything daily, weekly. Yeah. And do you and your partner divide and conquer when it comes to those things? I'd like to say yes, 100%, but I tend to do more and I don't mind that. I I think I'm a very hands-on mom and um, like helping him with his projects and kind of like creative homework and stuff. I mean, right now it's fairly easy. It's kind of finger painting and <laughs> and starting to read. So I'm enjoying that and seeing how he's developing. Uh, but yes, Aaron, Aaron does, if I can't do a pickup or drop off one day or something like that, then Aaron does fill in. And we do have, we do have support still at the moment, which is going to change in the new year. So we will have to balance it ourselves. Right. So you still got your, your nanny with you at the moment. We have our, our original nanny left us, but then she's come back and she's doing a, uh, she's doing pickup and uh, drop off basically. So she's helping with that, which does free up a couple hours of her time. Uh, so it's it's really helpful. And generally, obviously you're working for yourself now, but generally as an industry, when it comes to design practices, how, I guess, accommodating are they in general for women that are of a certain age that want to go off and have children and potentially are then becoming primary caregivers to those children and and needing some level of flexibility. How is it? It sounded like for you, you sort of wrote the rule book that was going to work for you and they clearly loved you and and agreed. What what is it generally? I think it depends on the practice, but it's it's definitely, from what I see in terms of terms for, you know, other practices and friends who have had children over the past couple of years, I think it has changed. There is a lot more flexibility. Actually, given given co- the COVID situation and post-COVID, a lot of people have more flexible hours or they can kind of balance and do pick up and drop off where previously they probably weren't able to do so. So I think it's changing for the better. I mean, I can't comment on every practice, but I do know that they are making the right decisions. They are trying to set up the right protocols so that women can, in, in our industry, uh, that they can, they can be supported and, you know, not feel as though it's a burden or feel guilty because that's often, you know, how if I, if I go now, I'm not going to be able to com- complete that project that's been ongoing for two years. So I think, I think now we're better supported by employers and that's continuing to improve. And why did you feel compelled to create the rules that you wanted? Is that just the way you are naturally? Is that because there was nothing that existed previously? But I'm fascinated by that because I think if everyone had that in them, imagine the outcomes that that different women would get to be able to continue doing what they want to do. What was it for you? When I when I joined that organization, I was the only female in in an executive role. So to be honest, there really wasn't anything written into the handbook or the the company guidelines. So it was a combination of me making sure that I had that security because when I joined them, I wasn't necessarily thinking I was going to get pregnant straight away, but I knew that I wanted to have children at some point. And I had just met my, my now partner 
So I wasn't thinking, okay, we're going to have it straight away. But I knew that I wanted to, and I wanted to make sure I was supported in the right way. So yes, it's part of my personality, but at the same time, there was nothing there. So it was an opportunity whilst negotiating while I had them at that stage to be able to write the rules myself. Yeah. It almost sometimes, I guess, work can work in your favor. If the rules don't exist, you have an opportunity to create them. Maybe it's even harder if they do exist and you just don't like them or they they don't quite work in the way that you anticipated these things working. It then becomes harder to navigate that. Maybe then there's nothing there. There's no harm, but ask for what you want. Well done you for, go- for going for it and, and asking those questions because I think that's probably the, one of the hardest things to do. So life now, you have the Von Collective, you were traveling the world, you had your probably case packed by the door with everything in it. What does life look like for you now and how has it been going from big corporate world to own business? It's, it's evolving. Uh, we're we're growing quite quickly. So we started, there were two of us. Uh, we're th- three designers, an intern and two technical. Uh, we're moving into a new office space just off Brick Lane, which I'm very excited about instead of having everyone come to my home. <laughs> and um, we are, we're working flexibly. We get to write the rules. So I fit in gym sessions. I make sure that's a priority. Um, you know, even if I'm, if I have deadlines, I spend a couple hours with my son before he goes to bed and then I'll get back to work. So I normally have a night shift just to kind of clear the to-do list, catch up on things, but I don't mind doing it. I think that's part of it to be able to kind of slot in. So I, I sort of have a, a good routine at the moment. I'd like to say it's balanced, but things do change <laughs> frequently, but I think it's, we yeah, we seem to have a good balance for we're not traveling that much right now. We're due, we're due for a nice holiday, but I think that the challenges of setting up a company and being small, I think right now we both, my partner also set up a fund at the same time I set up the company. So we both need to be present um, at the moment. So I think our next big challenge is, is fitting in proper holidays and taking some downtime because we both seem to be constantly you know, constantly on it or very active with multiple things. And what are the learnings? You, whenever you dive into these things, there's always things, you've got an idea and you've got a picture in your mind of your new life running this business. And then you have the reality of what happens and it morphs and changes and evolves. What were the learnings for you that maybe you, you hadn't foreseen? Oh, it's, it's certainly, certainly all the setup. I really did not think it would be such a challenge having to put so many hats on IT, you know, buy equipment, set up the computers for the staff, logins, programs, um, you know, even accounting. Luckily, we've we've now got an accountant helping us with with all the invoices and taxes. But just learning all of that, setting everything up properly, that that took a while. That was a big, big learning curve for me. And luckily, my partner being in a finance background was able to help because I don't know what I would have done. Um, you know, I think getting new clients, doing business development, there's so many hats you have to wear right now and managing and building a team, finding new talented staff, finding the right staff. Cause when you're small, it's so important to have 
the personalities and the drive and, you know, you can only afford to hire certain people and you're taking that risk, but then you need to bring new work on. So yeah, there's been, it's been eye-opening, but really exciting. It's just constantly evolving. So we're, we're very happy. And what's going on for you personally? So you've got this business, things seem to be going really well. They're growing. It's been what, just over a year now. What's happening with you behind the scenes you've got your four-year-old son that's being juggled what what else well we've been since we had Hugo in 2018 I think uh, after it was about a year and a bit we started trying to have for a sec uh, you know a second child but we've really struggled with fertility issues so in the background that's been for three and a half years that's been quite a burden um, on both of us on the relationship um, just balancing the ups and downs trying to get pregnant um, dealing with endometriosis. Then uh, recently, we've also had a, a loss. So we we did fall pregnant after a while, which was a blessing. First time naturally, I'm 42. Uh, you know, first time in three and a half years, but we lost it. So you're not able to shut off because you're running a business. So you can't actually spend the time to to kind of process everything. So that's been that's been really tough. But at the same time, I think. Um, I am strong in general, so I've had to, you know, talk about it when I needed to and then just say, okay, it wasn't meant to be and get on with things in a kind of robotic way, but that's the way I've had to deal with it. When you were going through something as as big as that, I mean, you know, one is going through the fertility issues and that can be pretty all-consuming for a lot of women that are going through it, you know, plus then working the hours that you do, particularly having your own business where you're this you're the visionary, you're the leader, everyone's looking up to you. And then you've got these big things going on in the background. How open out of interest were you with your team about what, what you're facing? Very open. Um, you know, I, I, I spoke with the team as soon as I was pregnant, um, whether or not we'd, you know, we, we were lucky to keep it or not. They knew straight away. So they could be aware of if I wasn't feeling well, I said, you know, Given I had done it before, I knew that I might be tired, I might feel unwell. So they were aware. They were very aware. I didn't tell clients or I told close friends, family, and my team just so that they were part of that process. So in a way, they were almost they were also part of the process when we had the loss. So they were they were there for that. And I think them knowing it was easier for us to kind of get on with things too. So they were able to to understand what I was going through and maybe be a bit I guess, more gentle in terms of uh, their reaction. So, yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, it must be so difficult to to lead a company like that. And I think incredible that you felt comfortable enough to be open and, and share that with the team. I agree with you. I actually went through a loss myself earlier this year and I just hired a new team, all of all men. And I remember thinking, how do I do this? Do I just do the sort of generic, due to unforeseen circumstances, I'm taking a couple of days off, or do I just go, blah, this is what's going on in my life right now. They're not children, you know, and some of them had had children themselves. And I was just really honest, having no idea what the um, reaction would be. And actually, it was so positive. And I was so taken aback by how much better I felt for being open that 
it totally changed my perspective for a being in a leadership role and needing to lead with vulnerability and honesty and actually how that then helps and aids your relationships with those team that when they're going through stuff because we're all human they feel compelled to bring you in on it as well was was that similar to your experience in terms of the reactions that you that you got 100 percent, 100 percent. i think i think they appreciated the honesty and they were able to kind of support me in the way i needed to during that time you know maybe pick up some of the extra work or yeah i think i think it was a very similar situation and the the point about being in a leadership role and being vulnerable i think in my past, I've had criticism for being too close to the team or too open with the team or, you know, too honest and vulnerable with the team. And I think at that point, I, I, I knew that, that that leader who was telling me this, my boss at the time, was absolutely wrong. I said, well, we, let's agree to disagree. But I think that is the way that I manage teams and you build a stronger relationship with your teams will ultimately trust you if you don't have a relationship with your team you know, you're not going to get to know that person and get the best out of that person as well. I couldn't agree more. And I guess, so the journey continues for you to, with a four-year-old, I'm sure is incredibly, incredibly energetic and at a really exciting phase of his life. You've, you've obviously got this going in the background and you've got the Bond Collective. Does the journey continue for you in terms of continuing to try and grow that family? How, how do you feel about it? We, yeah, we're already trying again. You know, we're kind of like two cycles on. We're trying again. Um, I have a really great fertility doctor who specializes in kind of older women uh, who are having challenges. So she's been helping guide me through the process. We're not getting any interventions or IVF. I just don't mentally think or physically think I can handle that. So we'll try. We'll try naturally. But I have agreed to, my partner and I have agreed to put a cap on it. I think we'll try to the end of the year and then we'll move on. We have one beautiful son who's healthy. I have a stepdaughter who's 15. So I think we'll probably get a dog if, if all else fails. But, I, you know, I, I, I do feel very lucky to have one. So in a way, it would be wonderful to give him a sibling. But if not, then I think, you know, it wasn't meant to be and we'll move on. I think that's an amazing mentality to have when you've been through a, you know, a long journey as well. It's not easy for anyone. I don't think anyone realizes until you start the process, you're like, oh, it, you don't just click your fingers and this thing happens. You just, I mean, I was blind to it totally before I came into this world. Um, you just hear all these stories growing up that it's super easy and then you actually, you actually attempt it and you realize it's not. But as your journey continues and as you reflect now about your life, the life you've built personally, but also the incredible business you've built, the incredible businesses that you've impacted, are you happy? Do you look back and think, I'm super proud of myself? Or are you still with the mentality of what's next? It's a little bit of both, to be honest. Um, I am very proud. Yeah, I'm, I'm proud I took the jump. I'm proud we're succeeding. Um I do want to grow it. I want it to evolve. I want it to, I don't know what that is yet, but I think we'll diversify in sectors. We'll probably start creating products. So lines and maybe collaborations in furniture. Not sure yet, but 
so there is a bit of what's next and there always will be uh, but at the same time I definitely need to be better at pausing for a moment and reflecting on how far I've come because it sounds incredible to me when I read your bio at the beginning I'm going oh my gosh this is this is not a bio you read from an everyday person this person has seriously gone for it and seriously achieved and you you're often too close to your own achievements to ever realize that they're not the norm um, and that's probably the case with you <laughs> it's very easy for me I come from the tech the tech world so I can look at the interior world and go wow you're always too close to your own world and when you think of ambitious women so women that are at a similar stage to you maybe they're they're on that they're on that career ladder they've got big goals big ambitions whether it's driven from their own passion or driven from validation of the the people above them to continue to climb but they want to have that family they want to do it what what would your advice be to to those women who are struggling to figure out how do I navigate doing all of this I don't want to let my career go I don't want to let my dreams of becoming a mother go but the two clash a little bit I would say first of all if they're not in the right company or the right organization that will support them, then that's probably the biggest step they need to make, you know, change straight away. If, well, or, and, or career, if they're in something that they don't love, there's no point in trying to, to keep progressing unless they want to push that, that path. And then I don't know the right answer for balancing everything because everyone's so different. You know, I think, Every individual, every woman needs a different combination or a different balance of what's important to them. It is it is always going to be a struggle to kind of balance everything. We're wearing, I feel like my mind never shuts off. Sometimes I sleep and I'm thinking of what have I done that? And I think that's common. Most women must go through that. You know, career and relationships are enough. And then adding in balancing children and, and all of that together and still trying to stay fit and healthy. And it is a lot. It is a lot. So I don't, I don't know if I have that formula or the right answer to that, but I just think everyone needs to find their perfect balance. Or it might not be perfect, but it will evolve and you kind of be flexible to let it evolve. Openness, I think, to you don't have to have it all figured out before you do it. <laughs> no, I think it's impossible to have it all figured out. It's just constantly changing, like life in general, like something will hit you or family stuff or, or work. I think I always tend to reset. I try to reset. Even if I've had a really bad day, I try to wake up and reset and just tackle it. <laughs> I think that's really important. And what I'm learning from you and from other women that I've spoken to is your support network is critical. So to raise a child... The child, someone needs to take care of the child, particularly before they've gone to a school and they're just in that school system for the majority of the day, Monday to Friday. So whether it's, if there are two parents involved and both want to work full time, you have to outsource that support network and pay for it. And it's a nanny or it's a child mind or it's nursery or it's something else, or it's grandparents, like whatever your options are. If not one of, and there's two parents involved, one of them, stops working or takes a back seat or goes part-time one way or another someone has to look after the child it's just whether 
it seems to me it's just whether it's there's a sacrifice made from one of the parents or it's outsourced to an organization or a person elsewhere but one of the two has to happen I guess I can't think of another way that it can otherwise happen and I guess in your in your world there are two parents that both work pretty demanding full-time jobs and therefore there was there was really one route to to focus on for you yes it could have been I don't I don't think we support one another and we didn't we both agree that we wouldn't sacrifice our careers in that sense. Um, and we were lucky to be able to financially get some support, given that being a, a nanny. Um, we also looked at nursery as well, but just the hours, the additional hours after the cost, it actually worked out better for us to have someone dedicated to us. Now we have school fees and we still have to have a little bit of, of care as well. But yeah, we're, we're going to we're going to have to shift again and in the new year support ourselves. So we're going to look at options with school bus or, you know, after, after school clubs, just to kind of fill in those gaps, but we don't have family here either. Uh, you know, the rest of my family, who's those that are left are in the U S or abroad and Aaron's from Australia. So that's even further. So we, we don't have any immediate family to kind of lean on. And that's why we had to make the decision we did. But uh, it is tough. It's it's kind of a family by family situation. It totally is. It totally is. But I think when I imagine your son, your son growing up, he doesn't know any different right now. He just knows that mom and dad work in this way. And, and this is my life. I think there's a lot of mothers that I speak to that have guilt around this. And when I speak to slightly older parents, they're like, when I speak to my kids, they're the thing, it's the thing they're most proud of is that they saw their mom work and achieve and, and go for gold. And your son is, is obviously still small, but how do you think he's perceiving the life that he has and will ultimately look at what you've built around him and the relationship that you have? I think he's aware. I mean, I think he's aware of you know, mummy's work and mummy's colleagues because because we we started the studio out of our house. So he's very much a part of, okay, mummy's still working or they're in the studio today. Uh, he's he's definitely aware of it. We we do try to make the time to spend, you know, focused time with him so that it doesn't feel like he's just he's interrupting or disrupting us, which I think is important. I don't want him to feel like it's, you know, a burden or you know, it, it's distracting to us if he if he wants some attention. So I think we do have clear boundaries and we've managed to figure out the right schedule to balance that. I hope he's proud of us because we're trying to do, you know, what most parents do for their kids to provide what we can and better life and those opportunities. We want to set them up properly. So and do what our parents did for us. Well, you had two working parents. So your father worked in construction, your mother worked as a nurse. Was it even a consideration for you that you wouldn't work? Finan financials aside, some people work purely because the, the income is important. But what about, what was it for you? For for me personally, it, there was no way I wasn't going to work. I think, I think, um, I think I would go crazy. It's a, it's hard. It's hard being a full-time mom. <laughs> it's, it is hard. 
it's hard work. I remember in the beginning thinking, I need a break. So I applaud full-time moms. You know, I don't think there's a right or wrong, but I really needed to be stimulated in different ways and continue growing in my field. And so that was my choice. But my, my mom worked nights and then she took care of us. So she worked in the emergency room at night at the hospital and then took care of us during the day. And I have no idea how she did it. Literally on little sleep, dragging us to sport practices and school. And it's an incredible. Looking back, you you don't realize these things till you're older, how much they sacrificed and how much they did for you until you realize it's almost too late to really appreciate it. And my last question to you, I feel like I could ask you so many. I want to talk about success. I think as you're growing up, you have one picture of success and you're gunning for one thing and often a either big life changes particularly having a family is one of those big life changes that that often shifts a perspective of what success might look like what does success mean to you now i think you're absolutely right it has it has shifted my priorities have changed i think success is being healthy and um spending time with family i i think the business will be what it's going to be uh, it's not about, this is, this is never, it was never a financial decision. Like I don't want to grow the business into a corporate beast. I've done that. I think it's a lifestyle choice. Um, and hopefully I'll be able to find that perfect balance, but success is, is, you know, spending time with family, being healthy and being able to joy my, seeing my son grow up. I think without health, <laughs> Um, you know, mentally as well, mentally and physically, then we're not going to be able to be able to be around for our children. Um, so I think to me, that's the most important thing right now is getting healthy and helping my partner get healthy too, because he's just working too much. <laughs> Natasha, thank you so much for your time today, for talking us through your journey, for being vulnerable, for being open, and ultimately for providing a huge amount of wisdom for lots of people to listen to and congratulations on on everything that you have achieved even if you don't realize it yourself sometimes but it's a pretty incredible business that you've got and I'm certainly excited to see where it goes thank you and thanks for having me Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please don't forget to leave me a quick review and subscribe. It helps us reach a bigger audience of women more than you know. And if there is an awesome individual who needs to share their story on this podcast, I would love to hear from you. My details are in the description below. I will see you next week.